Hi, I'm the Virtuous Victorian. Welcome to Virtue Signals, my podcast. Um, I'm going to let the music play, and then I'll talk to you on the other side. I'll see you very soon. Welcome to episode uh, three, I think, of Virtue Signals, uh, the podcast of the Virtuous Victorian. Today we have a very, very special guest, the uh, independent candidate for Goldstein, Zoe Daniel. Zoe, how are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into this very exciting episode, um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Bunurong people and uh, the Kulin Nation, and also acknowledge that their elders, past, present and emerging, have nurtured these lands with their ancient wisdoms, also acknowledging that this land uh, was stolen and never ceded. So we'll dive right into it. Uh, I, d- I don't want to drag on too much in the introduction. I think my listeners are very keen to get right in. Uh, so I'm just going to ask the first question. Who is Zoe Daniel? <laughs> well, who am I? Okay, I'm a mum. I'm a former foreign correspondent. I'm a, um, an Essendon supporter and <laughs> I'm a resident of Hampton. Um, I was born in Essendon, it so happens. I grew up in Tasmania. Uh, I've lived all over Australia as a journalist, working as a rural journalist, business journalist, worked across the range of ABC programs. And I've been a foreign correspondent in sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, and I was the ABC bureau chief in the US during the Trump administration. Um, I've written three books and I have two children, Archie and Pearl, and a golden retriever called Tully and a husband. <laughs> wow, it's, a, it's quite, the, quite the portfolio. And now you're turning to politics. Yeah, it's, a, it's quite a leap, um, especially mm. for someone like me who's made a whole sort of professional life out of being very apolitical if you like, and trying to be really objective around issues. Mm -hmm. And I've covered politics all over the world in different contexts as well as in Australia. So I'm pretty eyes wide open to how challenging and toxic politics can be. But I also really see a huge opportunity this time around for independence to change some things in Australian politics and in Australian policy that I think are really lacking. And so that's why I'm standing on a platform of climate integrity, transparent economic management, so fair and um, transparent use of ta- taxpayers' money and also equality and genuine safety, especially for women and girls. Mm. And obviously you mentioned that you're an independent. I mentioned that in the intro. So I think that leads us into our first uh, segment, if you call it. Uh, independence, uh, a lot of people don't, fully appreciate their role in the parliament. So talking to Goldstein, but also younger people in general, why should they vote for an independent? Look, I think that particularly right now, we're in a a situation where the party political system or the two-party system is quite dysfunctional. Politics is really partisan. Um, Members of both major parties just vote along party lines rather than rigorously analysing policy or legislation or sort of of really considering problem solving and how to take our country forward. 
And I think what independents do is provide an opportunity for some really sincere, honest representation from the crossbench. In Goldstein, it's a, a blue ribbon, a safe liberal seat. And I think there's a sense of people being taken for granted, automatically assumed to be in the LNP column, if you like, uh, and then not really having a voice in the party room or the parliament. So as an independent for Goldstein, especially under this model of being a community-backed independent, it's very much a, a consultative model, a model built around community engagement, really listening to and talking to people and getting a sense of issues and priorities, and then taking those forward into the parliament. And I think that at the moment, because the Liberal National Coalition is in government, in effect, the parliament is already a hung parliament and the control of it is in, in the hands of the National Party. And what that means is a lot of the policy decision making uh, is to do with the priorities of the National Party rather than the priorities of an urban electorate like Goldstein, where we know from polling and surveys and talking to people that people are really concerned about issues like uh, climate and they want more forward thinking, um, better sort of economically focused climate policy, for example. So there's a real opportunity to get in there um, and to be able to bring our issues into the national conversation. Mm, and I think the, the biggest uh, maybe area of question that people have is, are they being left out or are they disadvantaged by not having a major party MP? I, I know that you said that obviously you can consult the community more, but do you think that people should consider that when they are choosing or deciding to vote for an independent? Well, I think what we have now is a situation where, as I said, we're kind of taken for granted. And although we have uh, an incumbent MP who is a, a member of the governing party, that mm -hmm. MP votes every time with Barnaby Joyce and the National Party. And that's not representative of the views of the people in Goldstein or, or the priorities of people in Goldstein, as I've already said. So I think that what you get with an independent is an opportunity for our priorities to be to be taken forward. And there's also, I think, an opportunity to help drive the national conversation from the crossbench and also to raise issues that perhaps the major parties will avoid because they think they're not popular enough or they think they might get blowback from various electorates, independents can provide a bit of cover for the major parties by bringing forward some of the uncomfortable issues that perhaps we don't want to deal with so much, but we have to. Mm. And obviously, speaking of uncomfortable issues, especially for the current government, I think that leads us to climate change, which is uh, one that this current government seems to have difficulty around and a government that seems to, uh, sorry, an issue that seems to divide the government even. So I'd love to ask you, uh, plain and simple, what is your stance on climate action? What do you think we can do as a country? And what do you think the government can do? Well, I think we should be aiming for a target of at least 50% emissions reduction by 2030. And I think we should be uh, uh, aiming for and that we can accelerate our progress towards net zero. And I think we can hit that before 2050. But I think more to the point, we need to be thinking that the next three years is really critical for setting a framework for policy on these issues. But it's not just the next three years that's important, and nor is it the next 10 years or the next 30 years. It's, you know, the next 100 years. What kind of country 
do we want to be? What sort of opportunities and jobs do we want to create for people? So I think my uh, main stance on climate policy is that we need to have really smart, economically driven climate policy. We need to be diverting subsidies that are currently in the, in the billions that are being sent towards the fossil fuel industry and to what I would describe as stranded assets in the failing industry. So we're subsidising uh, things like coal when we know that those industries are failing and diverting that money to supporting renewable energy industries. Lots of experts suggest that Australia is potentially the best positioned country in the world to take advantage of this renewable revolution. We have relatively low density population, but still big cities with lots of rooftops. So we have huge capacity even now for further uptake of rooftop solar. We have a huge amount of open space for large solar farms in the regions, uh, potential for offshore wind, for example, and the capacity to potentially produce in excess of our domestic requirements for electricity, which can enable us to either export or to produce things onshore that we're currently producing overseas. So rather than sending our iron ore overseas to be made into steel, we could potentially become the foundry of the world here by using that excess electricity to build industry. So I think there's a huge amount of scope. You know, we've seen um, the industrial revolution, the, the technology revolution in, in relatively recent history. In my mind, this is the energy revolution and the renewable revolution, and we need to get on board and make the rest of the world compete with us rather than playing catch up as we currently are. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, that uh, you're community-backed. I know that you um, you work with the Voices of Goldstein, which is a community group. Is this what they're telling you? Is this is this the action that they want that they're currently not getting from their uh, current representative in the parliament? Yeah, so the Voices of Goldstein is a community group that's been operational for about a year or so um, that's set about looking for a candidate who could represent the community on these kinds of issues and that were the priorities of the group. Now that I've taken on and accepted the candidacy, my positions are partly based on that but also about the conversations that I'm having with people and I'm out and about meeting people in the the street, uh, having conversations with people about these sorts of things and the things that keep coming up repeatedly are integrity, honesty, accountability and sincerity in, in politics. Uh, honest and open use of taxpayers' money for the benefit of the community as a whole and for the common good, Um, really economically focused and smart climate policy, which must happen, and then those issues around equality and safety for women that I mentioned, and also a few other things um, like better and more humane treatment of refugees, uh, like fixing our very broken aged care system, which we've seen particularly during covid Uh, is in an absolute disastrous state Uh, Mm. and also things like affordable housing are coming up a lot as well so they're the the sorts of issues that people are raising with me when I'm meeting them. You you mentioned integrity which is a great one to talk about obviously the coalition today has said they have no time for an ICAC Um, is that good enough and if you were elected what would you do for integrity in our parliament? Well, no, I don't think it's good enough to say they've got no time for it, especially when they promised it in 2018. So they've had three years to deliver it. Uh, and now we're up just before an election and they've put forward a, a model which most experts say would actually potentially foster corruption rather than actually improving the situation. So it seems like a huge cop-out. Um, I think that 
integrity needs to address to be addressed with an integrity system. So a, a federal ICAC or corruption commission is part of that to investigate um, complaints, for example, or poor behaviour. But I think there's more to it than that. I think there's things like truth in political advertising and perhaps limits on spending on political advertising. There's transparency in political donations and potentially limits on donations. There's a code of conduct for our elected representatives. There's protection for whistleblowers. There's uh, transparency of political lobbying. So there's all sorts of things that sit, I think, under the umbrella of an integrity system. And I think that, you know, it, in, at the end of the day, it provides a check and balance on those who are leading us um, to sort of, I guess, pull back the veil on where money's being spent and why, um, the impact that that might be having on our policy settings, for example, um, and whether people are getting private advantage from um, money that's floating around um, at the back end of the political system. So it's really a way of providing oversight on all of those things. Mm, definitely. Uh, integrity then flows on to equality. So I'd love to ask, what does equality mean to you? And what is what is an equal Australia in the future going forward look like? Well, people should have equal access to opportunity, no matter their uh, cultural background or race or uh, gender um, identify, uh, gender identity or um, any of those things or religion even, um, people should have equal opportunity and, and be judged on merit um, in terms of the opportunities that they get. But I think the other piece of it, um, particularly for women, is safety for women and safety for women in the workplace. Uh, there's been lots of evidence, as, as you know, over the last couple of years about women coming forward to describe the sorts of experiences that they're having in the workplace, even up to Parliament House itself. And there's a sense of lip service being paid to finding solutions to that by our parliamentarians. The Sex Discrimination Commission has done two reports on this. The main report has 55 recommendations. Um, the government chose to sit on that report for a year and it was only when Brittany Higgins came out and alleged that she'd been raped in Parliament House that the government cherry-picked a few of the recommendations and decided to implement them. Uh, my position is that all 55 of those recommendations should be implemented along with the uh, second report around um, Parliament House and an independence, uh, independent complaints body there, uh, for example. But, you know, we, we really shouldn't be able, we, we shouldn't have to be fighting for um, basic human rights for women and girls in 2022. Um, more than lip service has to be paid to this issue. Actual solutions need to be and must be implemented. Yeah, and it, obviously it's so disappointing to see uh, all of these things you've said going on in the parliament where this should be setting the example for the rest of the country and we're seeing the people that we represent, the people that should be the best of us, uh, just going about things and, you know, dragging their feet on these issues and just not setting a good example. Do you think that Parliament is doing a good enough job to set that example? Oh, no, I don't. And, it's you know, it, it's, it goes to the integrity issue as well, as you said, as well as the treatment of women. It's just a case of, well why is there one set of rules for elected representatives and another set of rules for everyone else? A lot of the 
behaviour that we see go on wouldn't be acceptable in a corporate environment or a business environment. If if you were heading up a, a company, you would have been sacked uh, for a lot of this behaviour or you would have sacked your staff or put them through a disciplinary process over it. So, you know, that it really does need cleaning up. And, I, you know, I think there, we should expect um, better from our elected leaders. You know, they're, they're elected to represent us and their behaviour should actually be a cut above um, everyone else because in that sense they're in a privileged position. Exactly right. And and prosperity is uh, another key pillar that I know is important to you. So I'd love to ask prosperity, and that leads into, uh, like you mentioned, uh, economic prosperity and uh, affordable housing. What what can the government do? Uh, obviously, my young my base of listeners are younger. So, what can young people uh, look to you for in terms of um, making their future better and brighter and more prosperous? Yeah, well, I think a big piece of it is the climate policy that we've talked about and that more economically focused climate policy. I think also um, providing support for for small business, and it doesn't necessarily have to be financial support, but sort of giving backing to small business to enable expansion, to encourage the growth of small business. We have a lot of small businesses in the electorate and many of them have really struggled through COVID. So as that COVID recovery happens, I think that there are potential policy settings that could be utilised to help those businesses recover after the pandemic. So things like um, perhaps... um, creating repayment systems for tax debt and those sorts of things to ease pressure on small business to enable them to operate. Things like um, loosening restrictions on um, people who are on temporary visas who could work more hours, for example, to fill worker shortages in small businesses and those sorts of things. And then on the affordable housing front, and I know that that's a really prominent issue for a lot of young people in the electorate, there's all sorts of really interesting things happening internationally around um, relationships with private industry and government to do with rent to buy schemes for apartments, for example, um, doing developments near to universities and and hospitals and large employers with integrated public transport and those sorts of things, and then renting those apartments to people at, say, 80% of the market rate um, to to enable them to um, have lower rent and potentially then rent to buy or be able to save uh, some money while they're renting. So I think there's some innovative solutions that we can look at with some large institutional investors to help um, perhaps sort of deconstruct some of the affordable housing issues that we've got. But, you know, even in an electorate like Goldstein, where there are a lot of um, people who are very comfortable uh, financially, but it's still very difficult for young people uh, to enter the housing market with the cost of housing in an electorate like this. So it's something we really need to take a close look at. Mm, I, I definitely I agree. I am obviously as a young person myself, uh, housing is probably one of the biggest issues that um, is important to me, along with climate change uh, and integrity. So almost everything that you've covered. Um, I'd like to ask to give you for you to give your final pitch almost to uh, voters of Goldstein, um, maybe even young people around the country. Uh, why should people of Goldstein vote for you, and why should in a broader sense, uh, people 
think twice before just picking a major party and maybe even consider the independence in their electorate? Look, I think right now we have the momentum to do politics differently and I think this is a really rare opportunity. I think that many people in this electorate will have potentially been voting the same way all of their life and so therefore might usually go to the polling booth and just automatically vote for the same party. But I think that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we're quite stuck at the moment and we're just not making progress fast enough on the issues that we need to make progress on and, and climate's really fundamental to that. So I think what I would say is this is a real chance. This is a chance to actually step in and change something to get a voice in the parliament for the people of Goldstein and also to improve the future for all of us, but especially for our young people in the electorate. We all know that we must act on this issue of climate. And we also know that if we stick with the status quo position as it is now, we will not be able to hit the targets that we need to hit to keep the global temperature under where it needs to be. Now, Australia needs to pull its weight on this issue, so that's one part of it. But then there's also that huge opportunity that I've talked about that Australia could really take advantage of to step into this renewable revolution in a way that could absolutely revolutionise our economy and our country, and I think that's incredibly exciting. So my position as someone who never expected to be a politician but decided to step into this because of the opportunity that that poses and also in part because of a conversation with my now 15-year-old son who said, Mum, you've got a chance to do something for us and, and, and someone needs to do something and you've got the skills to do it. And so I'm stepping into that opportunity because I can see that it's there so what I say to the voters of Goldstein is you take that opportunity up as well. And especially to young people in Goldstein who've maybe not voted yet, this is potentially the first time that you can actually vote. Maybe it's your first time voting, but it's also the first time that your vote could actually make a difference in this electorate. And if I can get onto the crossbench maybe with a, another couple of sensible, sincere, honest independence. We have a chance to change policy for a generation in this country, policy that really needs to be changed, and that is climate policy particularly, and also equality policy, but then also cleaning up politics with that integrity piece, and that's hugely important. So many uh, people are looking to get involved with politics. I know that recently we uh, polled and about 10% of people that answered said that they actually lived in Goldstein. So uh, if you do uh, look at your candidates, maybe even consider getting involved if you're passionate. I know that uh, all candidates are looking for people to get involved. But uh, I think that the biggest takeaway from here, and especially for me, is that if you do want to get involved in politics, there are more avenues than just you know, the two major parties. And there's uh, a real opportunity to do something good and band together with your um, local community members. So Zoe, thank you so much for giving up your time. I know that you're very busy out on the campaign. Uh, it's been great having you. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure.